verse by verse, passage by passage, till we get all the way through it. And John is a First John is a book that is written so that you can know you're a Christian. John's written so that you can know you have eternal life. And John writes there, writes this book for two reasons. One is to combat something that was happening uh, in the culture, and one was also to give people the kind of assurance that they were that that they wanted. And so John writes to combat this idea of Gnosticism, which was prevalent at the time. Gnosticism basically taught this. There are two worlds. There is a spiritual world, and there is a physical, material world. Gnosticism said these two worlds never connect. In no way do they interact. They're two very, very separate worlds. And so in one, one branch of Gnosticism said this, you live at this spiritual level, you disavow or disown anything to do with that which is material or physical. And so this world tended to be a, a, a very high-oriented, I'm spiritual, I, I worship God, I do all of these things, I don't do all of these kinds of things. Uh, the other world tended to say, the other view tended to say, well, since the worlds aren't connected, I can say this and do whatever I want here because these two worlds don't connect. And John writes this book to say, no, 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 you need to understand these two worlds are connected. You need to understand that the whole point of Jesus coming to the earth was to connect these two worlds. And so a true Gnostic did not believe Jesus was God. Because, again, the spiritual world and the physical world can't interact. So they didn't believe that. Oh, okay. Is that better? All right. We're trying to get the, we have more people listening to this during the week than we thought, so we're trying to get this right for them, not for you. Uh, you know, we got it. I don't need this for you. Uh, I can get all the way back there without this. But, uh, so we're trying to, to work it all out. I'm still, you know, we've had this for, what, six months, and I still can't get it right. But uh, eventually we will. It makes a better sound for, for those people. Uh, so anyway, but th- uh, John was saying here, so, so they didn't believe these two worlds were connected. And Jesus came and said, no, no, no. God came to earth, wrapped himself in flesh, and connected these two worlds. He said, I'm going to show you what heaven looks like when it walks on this earth. I'm going to show you what God looks like when he walks on this earth. And so John writes to say this. So over and over again in this book, you see things like this. If a man says that he loves God, but he hates his brother, then he don't love God. John connects those two worlds. And so you're going to see that a lot. And so that's kind of the idea here as we go into it. We've talked about, uh, we're all the way up to chapter 3. And up until now, what John's talked about is he's talked about truth. Uh, He's talked about sin. He's talked about obedience. Uh, now he's talking about the passage we're going to end with today. He talks about righteousness. And then next week he's going to tar- start a whole other section on love and how love interacts with, with this world and God. So uh, this morning, um, let's read it, and then uh, we'll walk through it. So here it goes, First John chapter 3, uh, starting verse 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And by the way, notice he says appeared because, again, the idea that God, eternal God, appears in human form. He didn't want to say born because 
that would get the idea of disconnect. He connects the two worlds, even there. And he says, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He can't go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know that we are the children of God. Are, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. So, this is how he lays it all out. We will walk through all of this and, and kind of put stuff together. The whole section here, starting in verse 4 all the way down to verse 10, is linked together, and it's about righteousness. If you'll remember from last week, we talked about sin equals lawlessness. You remember that? Okay. Notice what happens here. In verse 8, sin equals the devil. So he connects. Verses 4 and 8 are connected. In verse 5 of last week, he said this. Christ came to take away lawlessness. Notice what he does here. He says in verse 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So he, he makes the link again. He says, okay, sin was lawlessness. Sin equals the devil. Christ came away to take away lawlessness. Uh, Christ ended up to destroy the works of the devil. He runs this parallel kind of thing. And then he comes in, in the last part of uh, verse, uh, verse uh, 6. He said, if you abide in him, you can't sin. And here he talks about the idea of God's seed in you you're not going to be connected to sin. Sin's not going to be something that you embrace as a part of your life. So that's what John kind of lays out here for the whole thing. So uh, let's walk through verse 8. Notice what he says. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. He introduces the devil here. All right? Let me say this. The devil is real. Uh, the devil is a created being. Um, the devil is uh, real and present today. Uh, don't, don't minimize his impact on this world. Uh, the Bible says he's a prince of the power of the air. The Bible says he distinguishes himself, or he, he, he disguises himself as an angel of light. The devil is very real, all right? And John here introduces this concept of devil and the sin and links the two of them together. And notice he says, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. That's what started the whole thing. The whole sin thing started with Satan. If you go to Isaiah chapter 14, read that passage sometime. In Isaiah chapter 14, there are five I wills where Satan says, I, uh, guys, throw that up real quick. Um, uh, let me show it to you right now. I, I will ascend into heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned to the mountain of the assembly. I will ascend above the tops of the, of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Satan actually came to God and said, I'm tired of you calling the shots. It should be my turn. I want to do it my way. I don't want to do what you are doing. I want to do my, I want to be better than you. And he, he, you have this whole, I, this whole, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. The result of this is God says, look, this place ain't for you no more. And Satan had enough influence that a third of the angelic host went with him. Why? Because he was pretty slick. And so this was the whole sin. And so what John says is, the devil sinned from the beginning. Okay? 
And then he takes it one step further. And he says, but Christ came to destroy the works of the devil. So, okay, some of you are new Christians, and I'm going to lose you right here, so you can, like, unplug for a few minutes. I'll tell you when to plug back in. Some of you have been around for a long time, and, and I want you to, to, to follow with me here. When you and I think of sin, we think of action. Okay? We think of action. For instance, we think of the sin of murder. The action, if you will, the works of the devil, murder. The action. When Jesus introduces the concept of sin from the beginning, he's going back to this Isaiah 14 idea. At this point, it was an attitude. At this point, it's an attitude. So when God looks at sin, this is what you need to understand. God sees sin as the whole, the attitude and the action. That's why when Jesus is on the earth, he says, um, it's good that you don't murder. But if you have the attitude of hatred in your heart, it's the same. As murder. Because when God deals with sin, God deals with attitude and action. The Pharisees just wanted to deal with action. They didn't care about attitude. So when Jesus comes on the scene, he is often confronting the Pharisees with, wait a minute, I know this is your action, but what about your attitude? The story of the Good Samaritan. So what we need to keep in the back of our heads is this concept that when God's talking about sin, God says, look, I want to deal with the attitude as well as the action. Because in my economy, they are connected. Now, the results are very, very different. I can go my entire life hating you, and you never know that. And I don't go to jail for that. But if I murder you, I'm going to jail. Why? Why? The consequences are much, much different between attitude and action. And so, but the sin is the same. And that's what we need to understand. When Jesus comes to the earth, one of the things Jesus deals with is not just action, but attitude. Okay? Everybody get that? Okay? And here's what he's saying. Go back to 1 John, guys. Um, 1 John. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And notice what he says. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. He says, do you understand the whole reason that Jesus came to earth? It's not just to save you. That's part of it. But he came so that Satan and sin don't have power over you anymore. He came to destroy the things that Satan wants to do in your life. That's why it's important to understand. You know what Satan's goal for you is this week? John chapter 10 and verse 10. Anybody know what it says? things steal kill destroy satan's satan could care less about you this week all he wants three things steal he wants to take things from you this week so you know what here's the thing he doesn't want you to have peace not if he can get you to live in fear he doesn't want you to he doesn't want you to have 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 comfort not when he can get you to worry he wants to steal things he wants to rob the things that god wants to give you this week from your life kill destroy he wants to ruin every relationship you have that he can that's his goal his goal on your marriage this week is to ruin 
your relationship, to destroy it. And he doesn't care how he does it. He's not particular. He'll take anything you give him this week. You need to understand, that's his goal this week. Every day that you get up, it, you are in a battle. It is not this, this wonderful, you know, deal. It is you are in a battle every single day this week where Satan's saying, you know what? Steal, kill, destroy. That's what I want to do for him. That's my goal for him. What can I rob? What can I take away from them this week? What can I do to get in their craw this week? I don't want them, I don't want them to... I don't want them to have that life, an abundant life that Jesus gives them. No, no, no. What can I do to, to rob them of that this week? And that's his goal. What's, what can he do to keep you awake tonight so you don't sleep? He, he doesn't care what it is. You know, I look at what kept me awake last night. Dumbest thing in the world. Dumbest thing in the world. And I'm looking at it going, really? Why did I spend all night thinking about that? I haven't thought about that in 30 years. Why? And, and, now, and this morning I'm realizing, ah, ah, Satan, yeah, wow, how dumb was that? You know, why? Because that's what he wants to do in your life. And, so, and, and John lays it out here. He says, look, the reason Jesus came, he wants, to, he wants to destroy Satan's work in your life this week. Um, I would just say this, for some of you who have been Christians for a while, I think steal, kill, and destroy are actually the antithesis of that is when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think you can actually run parallels between those two. Study it on your own. That'll be fun sometimes. Here we go. Notice what he goes on to say. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He can't go on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, okay, here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you are a child of God, if God's seed, and we're going to get to that in a second, if God's seed has put in you, you are not going to be comfortable sinning. You're not going to be comfortable. I'm not saying you won't do it. John's already argued. If you, don't say, if you say that you have no sin, you're a liar, and you've sinned. Okay? He's already told us that. But here he's talking about what's your attitude and outlook towards sin. What's your response towards sin? And notice what he says. He says, no one will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He's saying, look, you're not going to be comfortable there. Um, I, would, I read this this week, and I thought this illustrated the best, at least for me. It goes something like this. If I take a sheep and I take a pig and I put them in a pond of mud, which one's going to get out? Why? Why is the sheep going to want out? It's not comfortable in mud. The pig, on the other hand, is very comfortable in mud. In fact, it's one of the ways pig cools down. It's systems designed to be attracted towards mud. So guess what? If I put them both in a mud puddle, one's getting out because it's uncomfortable, one's staying in. This is what John's saying. When it comes to sin, you stay in or get out. Child of God's not comfortable there. That's what John's saying. He's saying, you're not comfortable there. You're going to want to get out. You're going to want to get past that. Okay. Um, now, I'm going into an area that I am really, really uncomfortable because I have enough knowledge to be dangerous and not know what I'm saying. So if I get this all wrong, forgive me. Remember that I grew up in Detroit and Chicago, so I don't know anything about this. Anything I know about this is what I've gathered from listening to you talk. So here we go. 
as I understand the whole cattle thing, okay, I know enough to be dangerous. I understand that, from, here's what I've gathered, okay, and I could be way off on this, but in 4-H and everything else, here's what I've gathered. There are certain characteristics or traits that you look for when you are breeding an animal. And you decide what those traits are. And everybody, it's different. Everybody chooses different traits, okay? Um, everybody has certain things. For me, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're breeding something for me to eat, I'm telling you right now, there's only one trait I care about, marbling. I don't care about weight. I don't care about size. I don't care about color. I don't care about kind of beef. It's all about marbling for me, okay? So you can just remember that. But anyway, uh, here's the idea. As I understand it, you breed. And, and the way you do that is you artificially inseminate these cattle. And what you do is you decide what those traits are. Then you go out and find seed or genetics that are strong within that partic- between that particular animal or, or, or stock or whatever it is. Am I close? Getting close? Okay. And then what you do is you purchase that at crazy prices, and you put that in to a breeding animal, hoping that those traits will start to manifest themselves in that animal's offspring. Am I right? Awesome. Okay. Good. Now the illustration is going to make sense. Okay. That's what God did. God saw us and said, there are certain things that I want to produce in their life. But their their genetics, their DNA, the way they are wired is as sinners. And those things can't be produced on their own. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my seed in them to produce the kind of offspring and the genetic characteristics that should be in their life. This is what John's saying. So if God is love, and he is, and he places that seed within us, we should produce love. Why? Because we now have the genetic ability to do that. If God is righteous, and that is what God places within us, then we should produce righteousness. If God came to destroy the works of sin, then we should produce a life that hates sin. That's what John's saying. So if you say that God's seed is in me, but I want to embrace sin, no, you can't do that. That's what John's saying. He's saying, you can't do that. Why? Because God has put his seed in you. Notice what he said. 
God's seed remains in him. He can't go unsinning because he's been born of God. God's saying, no, look, I gave you the genetic DNA to be able to do it differently. And if I am truly in you, this is what you're going to produce. I, he's not saying you can't sin. John's already dealt with that. He's already said, look, if you say that you don't have sin, you're a liar. He's already dealt with that. But you can't embrace, love, accept, say sin's okay and it's no big deal. Not as a child of God, you can't. That's what John's saying. He's saying, if God's seed's really in you, you know, it's, it's like me going, okay, I, I want all of these characteristics and all of these traits, and I'm going to put, I'm going to put, I'm going to go out and buy all of this expensive seed. I'm going to implant it into this cow. And because I'm going to produce a really cool Australian shepherd. It's not happening. That's what John's saying. You can't say God put all of this stuff in you, but yet you can produce somebody who embraces sin and loves sin and says sin's okay, it's no big deal. That's what he's saying. Somebody who's struggling with sin, different ballgame. Somebody who sins once in a while, who, 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 who's continually growing and continuing with sin, different ballgame. But somebody who embraces sin and says sin's no big deal, I've accepted Christ, I'm on my way to heaven, I've got my ticket, I can live however I want. They're kidding themselves, you're not a Christian. I don't care what you say, I'm telling you what the Bible says. You cannot say, I am a believer and embrace that which God came to destroy. That's what he's saying. So he goes on, and he tells us, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. He says, all right, I'm going to make it easy for you. He said, this is going to be really easy. This will help you. Again, let's go back to our uh, illustration of the AI thing. And he says, anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. So you give me somebody who looks at it and says, I'm a Christian, but I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to live my life my way. You're not a believer. That's what Satan did, Isaiah chapter 14, and God dealt with that. That's a child of, of, and notice what he says. This is how we know who the children of God and who the children of the devil are. Okay, listen. This is what John says. There are two groups of people on this planet. Children of God, children of Satan. Period. There's not three. Children of God, children of Satan, and really nice people who are probably going to make it to heaven. No, there's children of God, there's children of Satan, period. Every religion, children of God, children of Satan. Every belief system out there, children of God, children of Satan. By the way, there's not one. Oh, we're all just the children of God. No. Children of God, children of Satan. Black, white, no middle, no gray, no fudge room in there. Children of God, children of Satan. Everybody in here is in one of those two categories. Child of God, child of Satan. You're born naturally is a child of Satan. We're all born that way. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. As incredibly cute as they are, put them in a room full of toys and you will learn very quickly. They are incredibly selfish. Why? We're born that way. We have to learn to do things the right way. And so John says, look, there's two groups, children of God Children of Satan. We're all born as children of Satan. We're all born sinners. That's what the Bible says. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But God says, you know what? I have come to this earth so that you can be born again. 
That's why John said in John chapter 3, marvel not that I say you must be born again. You have to be born into God's family as a child of God. He offers it to anyone who will accept it. But you have to ask. You have to trust him. It has to be your call. It has to be your decision. And John says, look, you know what? And that's the whole passage in John 3 about Nicodemus and all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That whole story, read it sometime. But in that story, what happened? That is where Jesus is arguing with him about how to become a child of God. And it's about a faith and trust in God and nothing else. It's not a, you can't work your way, can't earn it, can't buy it, can't do a bunch of stuff for it other than trust God. And so here John says, anyone, this is how we know the children of God and the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God. So if somebody's out there telling you they love God, da da da, da but they think that they can embrace sin and, and, and do whatever they want, and da, 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 they're not a child of God. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Why? Because a righteous God who implants himself into your life, you will produce righteous things. You will want to do what's right. You will have a desire to say, you know what, I struggle with it, I don't like what the Bible says, but if the Bible says this is the, what I need to do, then that's what I need to do. There's a desire to do what is right in a child of God. And if somebody looks at you and says they love God, but they don't love their brother, there's a problem. Here's why. We're going to learn this next, in the next couple of weeks. But the whole next section, this is actually a transition from righteousness to love. And the whole next section is about the love of God. In fact, we're going to read God is love. And the whole idea of this, if God is love and God has implanted himself in my life, And what that means is, since God loves people, God so loved the world that he gave, I will love people. Even porcupine people. I may not get close to them, but I will still love them. Why? Because people are important to God. And that's what John says. So if somebody's looking at you going, yeah, I love God, da-da-da-da-da, but I hate boom, 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 and I can't stand boom, 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 and I will never forget boom, 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 and I will do da da John says, well, you better, better double check here because if God's love is in you, that's the genetic trait you ought to be producing in your life. Okay? So let's t- a couple of takeaways, and, and, and then we're done. First one is this. <coughs> the idea is this. As, as John deals with it for us, I think all of us have to look at our response to sin. We're in a culture that minimizes sin. But look, Jesus Christ came to destroy that. And I think we've got to be honest about how we look at sin and how it hurt the heart of God and how it cost Christ his life. And I don't know. Maybe you're, you're at a point in your life where you know, you're struggling. Great. The fact that you want to do right is a good sign. The fact that you're struggling, that's a good sign. But if your attitude is, I don't care, I'm going to live my, my way, I don't care what the Bible says, then you really genuinely need to make sure that you're a Christian because the Bible says be very careful here. Be very, very careful here because if you can embrace sin and say there's no, nothing wrong with my sin, it's okay, there's a problem. There's a problem. So I think, first of all, John encourages all of us to really take a good hard look at how we sin, uh, at how we look at sin. Second idea with John, I think, is this. 
we really need to wrap our heads around this idea that Christ came to destroy the works of sin. Do you get it? Do you get the idea that on the cross, Jesus defeated Satan? That Satan lost decisively at the cross. He lost big time. Now, I'm, I, this, I'm going on really, I hate to go here as an illustration, but it's so good, I don't want to minimize it, so I'm going to throw it out there. Last weekend was a Super Bowl. Okay? I don't care which team you were choosing for, you were cheering for. Okay? I don't care which team you wanted to win. But last Sunday, there was a decisive Super Bowl victory, right or wrong. Yes, it was decisive. Is there any question at the end of that game, who won? Now, what if after the game, all of the Denver people that they interviewed said, you know what, you didn't see it, but we really won. We were the better team on the field today. We were. We were were the better team. I know it didn't look that way in all the plays that you saw, but we were the better team on the field. You know? Did you see the way we blocked? (laughs) You go, no. Uh, No, I mean, did you see the way we blocked? You know? Did you see all the things? We were the better team on the field. There's not a one of you in here, even if you were a Denver fan, who would sit back and go, you might be loyal to them and say they were the better team as a whole, but on Sunday that was not true. The better team that walked off that field on Sunday was Seattle, hands down. I really didn't care who won. I was watching for the commercials. So, uh, but, I mean, but there was a decisive victory, right or wrong. How silly would it have been if every interview you saw this week with Denver, they kept telling you that they really won? You would laugh at them, wouldn't you? Then here's my question. Why do you let Satan convince you every week that he won? That his way is better. That the shortcut that he wants you to take instead of what God says is the better way. It'd be like listening to Denver tell us how great they were on Sunday. It might be a great team, but it didn't show on Sunday. Satan, every single day this week, is going to lie to you about how his way is better. But Jesus showed once and for all at the cross his way doesn't work his way is loss for you so when he comes to you and tries to get you to take a shortcut and say yeah i know what the bible says but you don't want to do that because that's not popular yeah you don't want to brace that because it, listen you need to step back and go wait a minute jesus came to destroy the work state he's the victor he's the one i listen to he he proved to me that i have power over sin the other thing is this I read this illustration this week, and I thought it was so fitting for this passage. Listen to what Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15. By the way, this is the chapter on the resurrection, but 1 Corinthians 15, um, throw it up, guys. Um, Nope, next one. I skipped that part. 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, By the way, this is where, at the end, he's going to go into, you know, um, uh, the last trump and all of that stuff, and, you know, that verse that we always read at funerals and stuff like that. Here's what he says before. Listen. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. That's talking about Jesus. So it's saying, the first Adam was Adam in the Garden of Eden. Last Adam was Jesus on the cross. Notice what he said. The spiritual did not come first. 
but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. And that's what happens. We're born physically into this world, then we put our faith and trust in Christ, and we have a spiritual life, a new life in Christ. So we have physical first, then a spiritual. Notice what he goes on to say. The first man was dust of the earth. The second man was from heaven. As, is, as was the earthly man, so are those that are of the earth. And as is the he- from the heaven, so are those that are of the heaven. Now notice what he says. And just as we have been born in the likeness of earthly man, Adam, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. So when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what happens? His likeness is what should be shown when I'm walking on this earth. And here was the illustration, and I think it's so fitting, it will help you to remember it and close this out today. You were all born, and I was born, a natural man like Adam. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, a second Adam, Jesus Christ, came to live within my heart. Everybody with me so far? So, I'm going to get up tomorrow, and there are two Adams living within me. The first Adam and the second Adam. And Satan is going to start knocking on my door tomorrow. Here's a question for you. Who do I send to answer the door? Because you see, when I abide with Christ, when I fellowship with Christ, that second Adam, then I'm smart enough to go, hey, Jesus, Satan's over there. Will you go answer the door? And Jesus goes over and opens the door and says, you're not welcome here. Wow. What do you got going on today? Jesus? Door? Do you know what most of us do? Satan, would you get that? Or, or, or old, old nature, old, old Adam, will you get that? Hey, come on in. And Jesus becomes the third wheel. Tomorrow, today... Satan's going to be knocking on the door of your heart. In whatever area it is, he's tempting, testing you, whatever. He's going to be knocking. Who you send to the door determines the outcome. Satan is going to knock all day long. And here's what you'll learn. The more you abide with Christ, the more you send Christ to the door, eventually Satan figures out he can't go in the door anymore. He's got to figure out another way in. Because knocking on the door just ain't effective anymore. And what John is saying is, if you're a believer, that's what you'll do. If you're an unbeliever, you won't even listen to that second Adam. You just let Satan on in. And you will embrace him when he comes in because sin's okay with you. He says, that's not a child of God. That is not a child of God. And that's what John, so my question, my challenge to you this week is, when Satan comes knocking, and he will, he'll, he'll, and let me tell you something, he will knock before you get in the parking lot, Right? Because somebody will say something to you or something, he'll be knocking on your door. My wife will tell you, okay? He got in last night, okay? And once she left, we were okay. No, um, no, I mean, no, <laughs> I, I went, <laughs> no, I was in the wrong last night, but we'll 
deal with that later. Um, no, we, but it was, it was one of those deals where, you know, it was, it was that kind of, yeah, oh, no, no. See, that's the thing. Now she's got like two girls beside her, and it's like, oh, now it's three on three, and now we lose. And so anyway, but I mean, really, it, it's one of those things where Satan knocking constantly. And it is so important that we send Christ to the door every time, that second Adam, and that we learn to embrace that second Adam, and we learn what he's thinking and what he wants and what he desires and what pleases him, and and, and let him make the calls. That's what John's saying. That's what Paul's saying here in 1 Corinthians 15. That's second Adam. That's who we as believers are have embraced and welcomed into our life. And God said, and I put within you, I planted my seed within you, I gave you everything you need to be able to respond like I did when I walked on this earth. Just don't do it like everybody else. Do it like I want you to do it. So I end it with this. This week. A believer's life is marked by righteousness. Sin does not characterize our life. As a believer, we seek to follow the righteous one. And that one came to destroy the works of the devil and the power of sin in our life. If we're genuinely born of God, our lives will resemble Christ because we take on the characteristics, and Bailey said it so well today, we take on the characteristics of our Father who adopted us and brought us into his family I'm going to steal from her today and loves us like crazy. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Guide us, direct us. God, we all struggle. We all have things that we've let Satan in this week. And uh, Lord, we don't want to do that again this week, this coming week. So help us. Help us to walk with you. Help us to be close to you. Lord, for those who are struggling, who, Lord... (laughs) could care less about sin, who don't embrace sin, would you help them to realize spiritually where they are before you? And work in their life, Lord, as only you can. For those of us who claim the name of Christ, Lord, help us this week to love you, honor you, to live in such a way that the world sees Christ in us and will give you the honor and glory and praise these things we ask in your name.